like a press conference at the UN <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine the world that that would be that you would be the press secretary for what government? I look like I'd be the press secretary for Post Malone. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like Pete Davidson's lawyer. <laughs> That's my aesthetic, my general aesthetic, you know. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Movies Last Night, aka The Quickening Last Night. <laughs> last <laughs> Night's Quickening. <laughs> I have to say, though, I mean, out of everything we're going to talk about today, I'm really excited about talking about Highlander 3. <laughs> <laughs> You're excited to talk about it because you haven't watched it. I, I've, I've seen it before. I've seen it before. You've seen it, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think three is where I stop, though. I don't think I've seen anything post three uh, later on. So, because part three came out in 1994, and I remember getting this on video. So I didn't see it in the theater, even though it did get a theatrical release, which, as we'll get into, is fucking ridiculous that they released <laughs> this in the movie theater. Um, but I was thinking, so I watched it this week, and I was pretty excited because in my head I had like, pretty fond memories of this movie and i don't know why when i watched it i know why i had fond memories of it why not because the movie's good but because it has like a ridiculously long sex scene in it and i probably thought it was really cool when i was younger <laughs> and um for some reason i thought it was a lot more violent and had a lot more action than it actually does do you want to hear my recap of highlander 3 set the stage shakespeare okay we were talking about highlander 2 highlander 3 just like i mentioned last week makes a point of retconning Highlander 2. So basically it takes it out of the canon, much like this latest Halloween franchise did with Halloween 2, the direct sequel. So because in a way, Highlander 2 is almost like a direct, I mean, well, it's not really, but it's a continuation and it's by the same director. This version is not by the same director. It's not by the director of the first two movies, okay? Takes place a little bit later. C Christopher Lambert, is a little bit more growing up. Like he, he looks a bit more rugged. You know what I mean? He's aged into his skin a little bit. He actually looks better in this one than he does in the other ones, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, especially when he doesn't have like the long hair. When he has his regular hair, he looks pretty cool. I'm going to kind of do this with the Wikipedia open as I go, because it for a movie that shouldn't be that com complicated, it's ridiculously convoluted. <laughs> You would think it would be pretty straightforward, but it's more not. More than space aliens? More than space aliens. Okay. So we set up in Highlander 2 that we jump ahead to the future. And McLeod, Ramirez is dead. McLeod's won the quickening. And now he saves the Earth from like an ecological catastrophe, environmental catastrophe, by building a shield that protects the Earth. Okay. Which in itself is crazy. It also proposes the idea that mcleod and ramirez are from a planet called zeist and then they get exiled to earth and that's why they're immortal okay so what goes out the window that goes out the window we're not dealing with people from outer space anymore they get rid of the future earth crisis that goes out the window and ramirez stays dead from the first movie so there's no return of ramirez it, it ramirez dead so basically everything that happens in the second movie 
did not happen. Okay. <laughs> so you would think, though, at the end of the first movie, if McLeod defeats the Kurgan and he become, uh, at the gathering and he becomes the one, because there can only be the one, how can there be another movie? Because there was only the one. He's, he's defeated everybody. So what this movie kind of gets into is if we flash back in time, there was another immortal running around called Kane. Kane is played by Mario Van Peebles. Kane is kind of like a Mongol uh, warrior, kind of like a Genghis Khan type, you know, total badass, really brutal, really savage, pretty cool. Actually, I really like Mario Van Peebles. I, what else is Van Peebles in? Mm, I can't. Was he in I, New Jack City? I would. That's what I was gonna say, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, it's strange because I don't really know many of his movies, but he's actually he's he's a pretty enigmatic character. He has a very big screen presence. Anyway, Heartbreak Ridge. Oh yeah, the Clint Eastwood movie. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. So after the events of the first movie, McLeod heads to Japan to train. Okay, and he trains with this guy called Nagano, who is kind of like a sorcerer magician sorcerer old guy so you get a bit of a kill bill two style training montage where mcleod's learning the knives the how to use the sword and basically he's learning how to use ramirez's samurai sword rather than his classic mcleod broadsword because there's a there's a huge difference in learning I mean, how technique to yeah for the swords dude it yeah. one's the weight the width the girth you know all right <laughs> <laughs> So he's later from the sorcerer, okay? As it goes on, he's, he's getting trained Kill Bill 2 style. He's, he's um, teaching him the art of illusion because this, the sorcerer can, like, you know, make illusions happen. Okay. He is an immortal too. This Nagano guy is an immortal, okay? But they're, like, the friends with each other. So he's in no hurry to, you know, you know what I mean? Like how some immortals get on with each other and they're not, like, really that caught up in the gathering or the quickening type of situation. Out of nowhere, Kane comes along, Okay. So the reason why McLeod didn't really win is because this is what happens. This is a little bit before the events in New York, okay? Kane comes, hijacks this training session. Kane comes with two cronies. Kane comes in and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm here to kill McLeod. I'm here to kill Nagano because I want to get your powers of illusion because you'll absorb those powers. McLeod gets his ass kicked like he does pretty much in all of the movies. He's kind of terrible. Gets his ass kicked. <laughs> Kane then straight up murders Nagano, chops his head off, and then he starts getting quickening. But as he starts getting the quickening, Nagano's head, his eyes pop up, his head's laid on the floor, and his head starts speaking to him. He's like, ha ha ha, you'll never become the one because I've tricked you. So what happens is as he's getting the quickening, the quickening's kind of like intensifying, and he's doing that like, kind of, you know, like the orgasm face that they have yeah, yeah, yeah. when they start absorbing the power. The cave that they're in is triggered to self-implode. So the cave crashes down, and basically entombs Kane and his two cronies in the ground. So they're trapped forever. They can't get out. He has the quickening, but because they're immortal, they're trapped alive, but they're trapped underground. His his two buddies are immortal too? Yeah. His oh, other two buddies are um, immortals too. Because there's a pretty funny bit later on actually with them. Flash forward a little bit into the future. Okay. McLeod is living in Marrakesh, I believe, with his adopted son. Which makes, I'm like, at this point, I'm so lost, Eric. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I thought they couldn't have kids. That's, it's adopted. That's why he's adopted him. Oh. McLeod is still immortal at this point because there is another living, there's three other living immortals trapped under the ground. So the gathering with the Kurgan and all of that wasn't actually the, the culmination because all of this time, Kane's been buried. We flash over to Japan 
and we have this scientist lady and this guy who's working on this underground digging experiment, okay, for something. I don't know. It's too convoluted. It looks like they've got like a big electrical <laughs> generator and they're doing some like excavation digs. But they're very excited in the mention, oh, this could be the location of the sorcerer's tomb. Okay. And everyone's like, oh, it's so cool. As they're digging down, what happens is they basically unearth Cain. Cain springs to life from the ground. And then he makes his escape with his two cronies. As he's escaping, he turns around to one of his cronies and he beheads him. And he goes, sorry, I need the juice, basically. He needed the juice. So he got he got reduced. <laughs> he's feeling on top of the world. Now, over in Marrakesh, I've Connor hated McLeod, you for 300 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> Could you imagine? What a dick move. And then what would they talk about for like, what would they talk about? It'd like, oh, God, it's so know. boring. You can't eat. Can't, you don't need to eat because you're immortal. It would just be miserable. It'd be absolutely Ugh. miserable living in that cave, especially that would be smelly too. Anyway, flash over to Marrakesh. McLeod is riding around like Lawrence of, Alab <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia with his son on these horses, like fully robed up and stuff. And then they see the sky transform. So McLeod's like, holy shit, there's some quickening action going on here. Better get my ass back to New York pronto. So he dips and just abandons his adopted son. I don't know who he leaves him with, but he just leaves, heads back to New York, gets back into his old apartment from the first film. Okay. And he's like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on with this. As his as he's going back to his apartment on the mean streets of New York, he gets jacked by about like six guys who are like, you know, your, your typical street hoodlums in a rundown New York City. They kick his ass so easily. But again, if he's been training with all of these experts, he's been training in swords, how come he keeps getting his ass kicked by like civilian? It's, I wish he was more of a badass, you know? <laughs> Like, if they ever remake this movie franchise, they need to really invest in the fact that Connor McLeod can fight because it just doesn't look like he can fight in these movies. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so he gets his ass kicked, right? Gets stabbed. I think he gets shot, shot or stabbed anyway. So they take him to the ICU and he's going in. The doctor's like, holy shit, what's up with this guy? He's blood everywhere. He's like, okay, I need... <laughs> I've never I've never seen this in my life. I work in, I work in the ICU. What? what? Yeah. Someone was stabbed in New York? What? <laughs> And the doctor is really over-egging it. It's like a really bad performance. So McLeod's going down on the gurney and they're taking him into the operating room. And he's like, I need two pints of blood start. I need all this, and whatever. And he's given orders. And then he looks down and he pulls the guy uh, McLeod's shirt open and there's no wounds, okay? And he's like, what the hell? Why are you wasting my time? This guy isn't shot. This guy isn't stabbed. Why are you wasting my time? So McLeod jumps up and then they try to restrain him. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? They restrain him. And he's like, I've got to get out of here. It's not what you think. They were, they were like, hey, two minutes ago, you had like a gunshot wound or whatever it was. You were, you were dying. So what do they do? They lock him up <laughs> in a mental health ward. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? They lock him up in a psych ward. Okay. So McLeod in a psych ward. God, I'm really going around the houses on this. I'm trying to make it sound as interesting as possible, but it's really not. <laughs> Long story short, he gets out of the psych ward. There's another cop investigating him now who's put two and two together and goes, I think you're that immortal guy. I think something's up with you, so I'm going to catch you. Whatever I do, I'm going to catch you, McLeod. I'm going to catch you. <laughs> McLeod bumps into this lady scientist who was part of the excavation dig. It turns out that in a past life for her, she is the descendant of some lady in France during like the Renaissance or like Marie Antoinette era. He was dating fell in love with but she i don't know if she was executed in the renaissance or whatever or like you know like um i don't know what happened anyway 
Man, that that that's a great advertisement for like uh, Ancestry.com right there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, actually, Connor McLeod would be perfect for Ancestry.com. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a commercial with him in a nice sweater on the Scottish Highlands, <laughs> sitting outside. You know, really, that would be really cool. <laughs> you could be related to me. Yeah, right. Or I might have sex with you. Either way, you know, because that's essentially all he's doing. Is if you're a female and you come in contact with Connor McLeod, he's going to have sex with you at some point <laughs> because he's like irresistible to women. Yeah. Turns out this is a descendant of this woman he was madly in love with. Then obviously they go, they they run into the to Kane, have a bit of a skirmish with Kane. Then McLeod's sword gets broken because they're fighting too close to holy ground, I believe, because I think it's in a church they're fighting. So his sword gets broken, so he has no sword. So they bugger off back to Scotland. Okay to try and make another sword, I guess. She gifts him a block of steel from Nagano that she found in the cave after the excavation. He uses that block of steel to make a brand new samurai sword. So he makes a brand new sword, ends up fighting Kane, ends up defeating Kane, therefore becomes technically now, hopefully, the one. No. The final one. No. 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 <laughs> it made... $39 million, I think, it had opened at number one in the UK box office, which I'm so ashamed of my people for doing that. <laughs> opened at number two at the American box office, because you guys have a little bit more sense. Dropped off out of nowhere in its second week. Did not make a lot of, I mean, th well, actually probably with, like, with inflation, $39 million is probably not bad, because it probably didn't cost more than, I'm guessing, $20 million to make. Uh, well, it probably no broke even. It was a PG-13 when it was released, and then they released a special director's cut later with the we two extra that. sex yeah. scenes. You do, because yeah. the sex <laughs> scenes are, you know what I mean? The yeah, sex yeah, scenes, yeah. It, what's funny about the sex scenes is it's super unnecessary for a kickoff in this movie. For a movie that's supposed to be like a sci-fi fantasy action movie, you take out almost all combat. There's almost very little actual fighting in the movie. Then you add in a really horrible softcore, like, what's that thing that you guys have in America where they used to put, like, softcore pornography on and it was a TV station on, H like, HBO? Oh, Cinemax? Cinemax. Yeah. Cinemax, okay? It's like a Cinemax softcore sex scene later on in the movie that feels really awkward and really tacked on and completely unnecessary. And then you get rid of all of the action, all of the violence, all of the action. The the choreography for the fights is terrible, so we don't have anything fun like the hover boot fight from Highlander 2. Not nothing fun like that. The movie is incredibly drab visually, incredibly drab, really dull. The soundtrack's terrible. So basically, all of these things that were really working for at least the first movie, and then in a way, in a weird fucked up way, the second movie too, are all gone. All the personality's gone from it, all the fun's gone from it. All of the goofiness has gone from it. It's just a really, really, de it was so depressing. I watched it and I, and I actually was like fast forwarding it every five minutes just to try and skip ahead because it was so <laughs> dull. And I remember it being really good. I even said on last week's episode, it's a banger. It's going to be amazing. You know? <laughs> so I have to ask you this question then, Eric, oh, given yeah. that you know what happened in Highlander 3 now. Yeah. Do you, do, do I need to continue going through this the series of movies? <laughs> Because I, I will do, I, but I don't I'll, know if it's I'll I'll um, I'll one up you on that. I I think you should. I think you should do the other two movies. But before you do the other two movies, I think you should watch the entirety of the television series. Oh, dear God, how many seasons <laughs> of the TV series are there? I have no idea. 
Let's I would say I would say at least ten. <laughs> at least ten. Oh, here's the movies. There's actually one, two, three, four, five, six movies. Mm-hmm. So my next one I'd have to do is a movie called Highlander Endgame. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open this little link that I see on my screen here, but what it it has a thumbnail for Highlander yeah. Endgame. Yeah, and it looks like it's Christopher Lambert, and it looks like the dude from the TV show. Is it a crossover event? I think it is. I think what they're doing is uh, holy they're, shit! They're basically they're moving the property uh, over to his character. Like it passing the baton, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then the new slogan is "There can be only two, I think. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh wow! Okay, so that's got me interested. That does have me interested. But in order for me to truly enjoy Highlander mm-hmm. Endgame, I'm going to ha- probably have to watch at least the first <laughs> season of the TV show. Yeah, the first ten seasons, I'm sure. The one after that is called Highlander: The Search for Vengeance. And it's a manga, like an anime. According to this thumbnail, it looks like Fist of the North Star style animation, but Highlander. Okay. Then after that, Highlander the Source, which I'm again, I'm not, I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to look ahead. I'm not going to look at the thumbnail, but it looks like, I don't know who the the main actor is. Adrian Paul. Adrian Paul. And it's, so this one, the Source is a straight up Adrian Paul joint solo. I'm going to look up how many episodes are in the series. That's what I'm trying to find out. Oh, whoa. Holy shit. <laughs> Ran from 1992 to 1998, the series. Okay. So I'm guessing at least six seasons, five seasons. Then from 1994 to 1996, there's an animated series. Okay. Then there's another s- series called The Raven, which might be a TV movie. It's yeah. Highlander The Raven. I think there's a couple of them. What? Ah, oh, God. I don't know. We're going to have to, should we, should we put a poll up on our Instagram? <laughs> I, 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 um, there's, there's no us in this sense. This is just you. But it's, yeah, it's me that has to suffer through the bloody thing. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's why I'm enjoying it so much. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do Endgame. I'll okay. do that for next week. Okay. Is that, that's and, the next one? Yeah. Then we will, then we'll review the situation four movies in and see see if it's necessary for me to keep <laughs> renting it, these movies it's already been three movies unnecessary i know well you know what's funny though is highlander 2 is a blast i know i was really harsh on it and it's really goofy but it's an absolute blast compared to this movie it's so much more fun it's mm-hmm. it's got a sense of humor it's goofy the soundtrack's great has personality has a really cool visual style like I said uh, the other week, it's kind of like cyberpunk dystopian vision of the future, which is great. It's shot really well. They just like it is the blandest movie, and I think that's worse. I'd rather watch something that's bad but it's fun than something that's just dull, dull as dishwater. Yeah, you know. Anyway, that's all I got for that. <laughs> as dull as uh, uh, rum and shampoo. Oh my god! Great segue. <laughs> Great segue. Did you see my text when I said I needed to go to the grocery store? Yeah. Hopefully they have it all at one location. Yeah, because there's nothing better than when you go to a busy, crowded marketplace and you're looking for, you know, a bottle of rum and a bottle of shampoo. And then you're walking around and they have shampoo and rum sharing the same display case. As you I don't do, even know if it you know? was a display case as much as it was just a fold-out table. 
It was a fold-out table. To be fair, it was a fold-out <laughs> table. But what are the odds that the only two items on that fold-out table are the two things you're looking for? Two uh, desperate that, things like that. That's their main commodity in wherever they were. I don't even know. Uh, it's like Nicaragua. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Nicaragua, yeah. It's true, though. You're probably right. That, I mean, they probably sell a lot of rum and shampoo probably is in high demand. So I could imagine toothpaste and rum, mm-hmm. shampoo and rum, mm-hmm. perhaps, <laughs> you know? It was anyway. What movie were we going to talk about, Eric? Uh, is it was it Stars at Noon? Is that what it, it was. was called? Stars yep. at Noon. Um, a two four, a two four was it? A two four. It was. Believe it or not, it was a two four. Yeah, free on Hulu. If you have a Hulu subscription, you can go ahead and hit play and watch that sucker if you want to. I don't know if you want to, but you might want to. Well, I think it's always a, an interesting sign if you see an A24 logo and you know it's going to be an A24 movie mm-hmm. and it goes immediately to streaming right now, considering how big A24 is right now, that if it's going to streaming, but Funny Pages went to streaming too. Yeah. And Funny Pages is really good. So I, maybe that's not a good me- metric to use. I don't know. I mean, maybe they have stuff that they're, they like push cinematically and then they're like they just have so much property that they're like okay just throw it here throw it there throw it there sort of thing yeah perhaps so stars at noon a 2022 french romantic thriller film directed by claire denise based on the 1986 novel the stars at noon by dennis johnson starring margaret qualley joe alwyn benny safty which was a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Danny Ramirez, who I also like, but I'm not sure where I've seen him. I've, I like him a lot, though. And most mind-bogglingly of all, John C. Riley has like an extended cameo, <laughs> not as himself, but he has a like he's in the movie. <laughs> he has and a it kind of he has a Zoom conversation. Yeah. So basically, one of the characters halfway through the movie has a Zoom conversation with uh, what's his name, Steve Brule. The his oh, John C. Riley's character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's very jarring seeing John C. Riley in this movie because he's such a. It's difficult for me to separate John C. Riley, well, as a person from his yeah. from his roles. Well, the weird thing is, is is he shows up and it, it it looks like his character just rolled out of bed, and I'm and I'm assuming that him as an actor, he just. Maybe they just gave him some lines and would be like, okay, just get on this Zoom call, read these lines off, act a little, and then uh, you'll be in the movie. He li- he literally looks like he just rolled out of bed and just tur- and turned it on. I think that's his own house, and he's just on his own laptop, and he just went on and did, and they probably were like, hey, just record some Zoom footage <laughs> doing these lines, and that's pretty much what he did. He probably that's got, definitely like- his own hair. Oh, oh yeah, his hair's awesome. He has such a good head of hair on him. It's really cool. He probably got paid like $20,000 for that. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I don't know what this movie is. It, it's so weird. Well, let's talk about it a bit before we get into the plot. Because had you seen any pre-advance buzz, pre-advance hype for this? Did you see a trailer? Not going at all. No, I, I mean, I, I, I saw... Um, I saw a trailer for it. The trailer looks way more interesting than the actual movie is, I think. Um, I think the trailer sells it more as a uh, a thriller as far as like not not really a, like a global globe trotting thriller or anything like that, but it kind of sets up 
it it gives the impression that maybe there there's like some government agencies and some espionage and like some some stuff going on and then um her character who i don't you know i don't remember the name of her character uh is just caught in the middle of it sort of thing and then it and then it goes from there and that's that's i don't know that that's really that is what it is about but not really too it's about two people who are just drink all day and then have sex and then like uh, no one really knows who is doing what as, as far as like who works for who she's supposed to be a journalist but i get the impression she might be a prostitute as well i'm i'm not sure you know there's I'm a not lot sure. there's actually a lot to unpack with this movie for a yeah. movie that you would think after first viewing is pretty dull admit it i think we're both going to go out and say that mm-hmm. right off the bat no it's spoilers. slow it's, it's slow. slow but not necessarily and i love slow movie uh, a slow build-up and and i love that so i'm not one of these people who is uh has like an attention deficit where i need like to be completely bombarded with stuff i can i can easily watch a slower paced movie you know and enjoy it yeah like the stranger the last that we reviewed not too long ago a couple of movies super slow very slow very slow so much better yeah, because we, if I felt like it was going somewhere, I felt like, yeah. it, like, okay, so Claire Denny, okay, have you seen much of her movies? Now I know she's very highly regarded. I mean, hell, this movie, this movie stars at noon, won the Grand Prix jury. At, um, it was selected to compete for the Palme d'Or at 2022 at Cannes. So against Triangle, against Decision to Leave, um, it didn't win, but it won the Grand Prix de Jury, whatever that means is. Uh, so it actually won something at Cannes. She is very, very highly regarded filmmaker. I'm aware of her. I think the only movies I've seen by her, I've seen Trouble Every Day a long time ago with um, Vincent Gallo and Beatrice Dahl, I believe, the, the cannibal uh, romance movie, which is kind of fucked up and kind of crazy and kind of cool. She's like, uh, I went through a phase of, you know, trying to get into French film directors around that, that period. I was super into Vincent Gallo around that period. So I, I was very much like at the height of my, like I'm an indie art snob movie goer <laughs> period of my life. So I was into all of those kind of movies. I think that's the only movie I've seen by her. I would, I know the high, high life was high life one. most recently with Robert Pattinson, um, which I think was her movie before this. So here's a filmography. Uh, see if anything pops out to you. So feature films, we're going back from 1988. We're going to start. So there's a movie called Chocolate, which not the Chocolate with, uh, not the Lassie Hellstrom movie with uh, Johnny Depp. Not that Chocolate. Not that one. Oh, okay. No, which yeah. is actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. This is another one. I think it's about an interracial relationship. Then we've got a movie. These are the English translations from French. No Fear, No Die from 1990. I Can't Sleep, 1994. Uh, Nanette and Bonnie, 1996. Beau Travail from 1999, which I guess is her watershed moment. That's her landmark movie that a lot of people put up there. You know, it's spoken alongside like Chunking Express or movies of that period of time, you know, like the late 90s. So late 90s indie royalty, I guess, from there. Then it goes to Trouble Every Day. Then a movie called Friday Night, The Intruder, 35 Shots of Rum, White Material, which I've heard of, but I... I don't know where I've heard that. A movie called Bastards, Let the Sunshine In, High Life in 2018, Both Sides of the Blade, um, which is coming out this year alongside Stars at Noon. And Both Sides of the Blade features 
the the main actor from Titan. You know, the gentleman, the fireman from Titan. Mm-hmm. He's in that yeah. movie. Who's a fucking great actor. So I'm sure that might, hopefully that's more interesting than this movie is. But for somebody who's, I know her name, a lot of people who follow theater, like films know who she is. I haven't seen almost any of her movies. Same, same. I mean, I know about High Life. I think I actually own High Life, um, but I haven't watched it. It's just sitting over there. Uh, no, but I, I know who she is. I haven't watched any of her movies. It's crazy. Besides this one, it, it's a little bit disappointing that this was the the kind of the first exposure almost of it. Okay, so let me ask you this. Now, having seen this movie, are you excited to go back and watch High Life? Or, because I know we talked about High Life when it came out. We both was on our radar. It's science fiction. It's Pattinson. So it's going to be interesting. It has an interesting premise. I, I would say yes. I, I would say, obviously, I mean, let's talk pros of this movie. It's it's a beautiful movie to look at. It's shot amazing. There's there's some great uh, scenes that happen. Uh, so, I mean, it's visually, it's amazing to look at. That's kind of one of the main things. But, I mean, I think some of the things that kind of hold it back, it's, it's a COVID movie. I mean, right off the bat, it's a COVID movie. You know that. And I think that's something that holds it back a bit because, I mean, I could go without watching another COVID movie for the rest of my life. It, it's like, it's all these like very interesting locations that are completely barren. You know, you have the principal actors and you have a few background characters, like one or two, you know, per scene. And then, the, and then there's a couple scenes maybe before heavy COVID restrictions. This is just pure speculation where there's there's small clusters of people. But for the most part, it's just like one or two people in a scene, maybe three, maybe four, you know, but very, very small. And I think that kind of the emptiness of, of what you're looking at, uh, at least in my case, it made it difficult to, to kind of focus in on what was going on because it, you're, I don't know, you're having to get your mind around, one, what the movie's trying to say, and then two, like the visual aspect of it or how everything is kind of set up in the scene because it's, it's so almost barren in a way. I think that's a really good observation because, you know, what you said, like, I, if I never see, I, I, I never want to watch another COVID movie again because obviously, like you said, the limitations of how many actors they can use, how many, you know, their filming setup, hence the John C. Riley cameo being very, yeah. very. <laughs> but let me ask you this then. What's interesting about Stars at Noon, though, as to like, so I've seen a few COVID, we've, we've seen a lot of COVID movies now, on, obviously. This one and Kimmy to me stand up because they both acknowledge COVID 19. So, whereas a lot of them don't, they're limited, but they don't acknowledge the reason why they're limited in terms of scope. So yeah, they get really clever and you do it miles away from no one in a very contained, like, I don't know, like a contained little pocket horror um, of which nothing's popping to mind, but there are, there are movies like Barbarian or whatever, you know, which is very few principal actors, but very cleverly done in a way that it doesn't need it. In a movie like Kimmy, they, they do it. They use it as part of the plot. Part of the narrative is, you know, the reason why she's working from home. Spoilers for Kimmy. Kimmy's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a, um, it's on HBO Max. It is, uh, I, we've talked about it before. Anyway, great movie. So Kimmy uses it as a plot device. This movie uses it as a plot, as a plot device too. So they openly acknowledge COVID. 
everybody's wearing masks. There's actually uh, temperature scans. There is COVID tests in the movie. So the whole thing. So my question to you is, if the movie is using COVID as a narrative and it's acknowledging it, does that make it better or does that make it worse? I don't, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, because the way that it's, the way that it's set up, it's set up as a, it's a country that is kind of embroiled in this, uh, it, it's almost falling apart is, is kind of the narrative that it's, that it's giving. It's, the country itself is falling apart, call it, falling into disrepair, all this stuff. But, and I, I would think, I would think if that is happening, you would have a, a bit more revolution going on or a bit more uh, pushback by the, by the city, cit- the, the citizens in the, in the areas where they're at. Um, I don't know that you would have like COVID stations set up on the side of the road sort of thing. I would think that there's so much strife and, and different things that are going on uh, that it would be so well structured with, well, uh, yeah. with that stuff. I know what you're saying, but you're saying that as an American. I know. Who lives know. in the South. Yeah. Where we pretty much denied that COVID even happened. So we didn't yeah. <laughs> even, we didn't even do any of that shit. Now, I think what we forget is, is that this movie is set in Central America obviously a lot of this is based in actual fact and it's and it's you know a lot of this is using like real world politics because she's obviously very clever in the movie at, at no point do i feel like this is very like uh, a fantasy version or a heightened version this feels very grounded in a lot of respects the way that's going on to do to do with its politics so with american uh cia interference because the land is obviously rich in natural resources you have like a shadow puppet government that's being run you have rebels who are fighting you have a neighboring country uh, or nation or whatever, Costa Rica, getting involved uh, and then being working very closely with the Americans to destabilize. So you have a lot of these things going on, which all feel like, you know, factual and correct given its location in the world. But what we forget a lot is most other countries, even what we class as third world countries or poor countries, took COVID extremely seriously, extremely. So in like i should imagine in india or places where we assume that it, it, it you couldn't maintain covid because everybody's living in huts and in the you know what i mean they don't have electricity in all these places so how would they have like covid testing the governments actually took it very very seriously so they did have a lot of that which we didn't have they obviously they honestly probably took it a lot more seriously than we did in a developed progress like pr- not progressive a developed a wealthy nation you know, because we just refused to believe that it was real. So, uh, hence why we had the biggest death toll. But yeah, <laughs> uh, um, that's we're not a political podcast. So that's what's interesting about it. So what you're saying to me is that like you 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 wouldn't think that they'd have it. The reality is, is I think that they would have those COVID checkpoints at border crossings. Mm-hmm. They would have all of that stuff, which is kind of wild though, considering the infrastructure of the country. If there's moments where she's going to a hamburger restaurant, they're like, no beef, no coke, no Coca Cola anywhere. And then we're like, oh, wow, that country must be totally fucked up because they can't even get Coca-Cola. Oh, wow, but they actually have real COVID testing places. People are actually wearing masks (laughs) when they're going around. But we assume that they don't because we're from, you know, a very privileged place. So I think that's probably accurate, Eric. I guess, I guess, but let's see. If it's based on a book from the 80s, I'm thinking it's very loosely based on that book. Um, 
because I think this movie could have been made in a, in a different way where if, if it is a COVID movie, it could have been just between the, say the two principal characters, they could have set it up like a play almost. They, they could have just been in the hotel room the entire time exchanging information and then, and then we kind of get our narrative out of that, you know, and uh, there could have been some interesting stuff there, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't figure out like the main character. I couldn't figure out what she was doing there, why she was there. What, I, I couldn't figure out her purpose really, you know, at, at first we're, we're like, she says she's a journalist covering almost like a travel vlog, isn't it? Yeah, well, she does multiple things. So my understanding of the movie, so uh, we'll give the, our listeners, Eric and I kind of just, you know, we're, it's early in the morning, we're rambling, we're doing our, yeah. this is me and Eric, are talk, <laughs> me and Eric right now are having a conversation rather than a podcast. Yeah. Um, so to clue you in, if you haven't seen the movie, basically the movie is set up along the lines, a real quick plot description. I, I would normally do the letterboxed one, but I think the letterboxed one is going to be too vague. Um, so basically... It's a movie about a young, supposed journalist, female character. Supposed. Who, supposedly, uh, self-described self journalist who meets an enigmatic British businessman whilst she is living in this, uh, I'm not sure it's fictionalized, but I believe it's, it's Nicaragua. She's living there um, working as a journalist. She meets this British uh, gentleman at the International Hotel Resort during covid 19 during the lockdown during the pandemic she basically starts off a an illicit sexual relationship with this guy where he is paying her for sex she's basically prostituting herself for sex however it's a it becomes very apparent that well it, whether or not it's effective at this they have great chemistry and there's something more going on as their relationship continues we start to learn that this guy isn't exactly who he says he is. He says he's working for an oil company um, as like basically an advisor. One thing becomes apparent is we start to learn that she, our main character, this American female, is pretty entangled within local politics. She knows a lot of people. She has a lot of friends. Now she's in a lot of trouble. She's not making the best decisions, but she's very aware of the situation. She starts to figure out that there's more to this guy than meets the eye and that he's actually being followed and trailed by the Costa Rican police. So they're getting involved and they want to know who he is. So she knows that he's up to no good. He's not exactly who he says he is. Now we're heading into a an upcoming election uh, for, I guess, it, I don't know if it's a national election or a local election. I think it's a national election. And it starts to become apparent that he is somehow involved in meddling or being like, he's, he's basically weaseled his way into being, into this power struggle that's happening. Now what his motivations are and who his benefactor is and exactly what it is, is not made a hundred percent clear. We have to suppose you know, we, we pick up pieces from what he says, but we have to figure out what, you know, what it was his intentions are, whether it's nefarious or not. Anyway, the situation becomes more and more escalated. She starts to get in trouble with all the people she knows because she, they figure out, they find out she's having a relationship with this guy. They, he's a person of interest for all these people. So she becomes a target of um, investigation 
which makes her position and her, di- her situation very difficult to the point where she decides that in order for her own safety, she needs to leave and go back to America. The problem is she doesn't have a passport and she doesn't have any US dollars because the local currency is massively counterfeited and it's kind of worthless. So everybody wants real American dollars. So she doesn't have the money to get out. So he has all of his belongings taken from him as the investigation. So they start closing in on him. They start closing in on her too. So they're forced into a situation there where they have to flee where they are and try to cross the border to try to get into, I think it's Costa Rica, to get there so he can actually get some money and get them both out of the situation because shit's hitting the fan. People are starting to get murdered. Everything's escalated. Now that's pretty much the plot of the movie. We're following their relationship and it's supposed to be a game of cat and mouse in the sense I think what they're going for is can she be trusted? Can he be trusted? Do they trust each other? You know, they're they're having this relationship, but it's almost should be like this back and forth between like, is she going to sell me out? Is he going to sell me out? Am I in trouble being with him, but I can't resist being with him? That's the movie we're supposed to get. It's not the movie we actually get. I was going to say that movie right there sounds super interesting. Yeah, that's not that's what the we movie got. that this is supposed to be. I think. <laughs> yeah. that, that's not what we got at all. At all. We just got a cut. Co- we just got a couple of drunks who are who seem like they stumble through the whole movie, and uh, one one of them overacts too much, and the other one underacts too much. So it's just it's this weird tone that's going back and forth. Um, I would say the one kind of saving grace of the whole thing is uh, Benny Safdie, who I re- I really like that character, and I like that the the character that he. Um, was playing and his his the way he delivered all his information and stuff like that. I found him kind of the most intriguing out of all of them. And and her, I, it was like I could she she almost comes up off as like um, almost unaware unaware of her situation or just unaware of how kind of desperate her situation is and. It's like she wants to be in control of everything that is going on the entire time, but it, it's like she's way out of her depth, I think, and he just seems lost the whole time. Give me your spoiler-free review, Eric. If you have Hulu, watch it. <laughs> if there's nothing, if there's nothing else going on, I mean, this is going to appeal to some people. I, I, I can't argue that it won't. Um, th- they're both very good looking people who are naked a lot in this. So, I mean, if that's your thing, you're going to love it. Uh, I mean, it, but it's shot. It's, it's beautifully shot. I think it's, it's very interesting to look at, but I, I don't think there's anything there that, that can, that will hold your attention that, that much. It's way too long for what it is. It's like two hours and 20 minutes, something like that. This is, this should be like an hour and a half, like 90 minutes long. There's, it's way too long. Um, I don't know. My, 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 my impression is lukewarm at best because I just couldn't get into any of the characters really, uh, besides the uh, safety. And that, then that was it. And then, I, I'm just like ho hum on the payoff, so I I don't know. I'm I'm very kind of lukewarm on it. I'm a little torn on the movie. Um, I actually like the fact that it's it's the they use the fact that it's set during COVID. I like that because it gives the movie this kind of uh, eerie barrenness to it, like you said. 
there's something quite like um, haunting about the location, which you would assume would be like this heaving, busy. It almost seems like a ghost town. Like they're they're exactly. on just a ghost town locations. At first, because of that, I thought it might have been set in like Cuba or somewhere where there yeah, was like that's like a, because of how. Now I've never been to Cuba, but in my head I imagine that there's a lot of areas Old where building. it's like. Yeah, old and abandoned. I don't know why, but I just imagine it like that. Um, so at first, that's where I thought it was because there was the lack of people everywhere. But because of that, I kind of like it. So th- th- this is my take on the movie. I think the movie has a hypnotic quality. Basically, everything about the movie is good other than the two leads. So if you were to take <laughs> those all out, you could even take that story out for all I care and just give me a travel movie where it's somebody walking around and living in that experience because it's fascinating. It's beautifully shot. Like there's a few scenes where our main character, she's walking early in the morning and it's after a rainstorm because I guess it rains a lot in this climate. It's like a tropical rainforesty type climate. So after it rains, there's no relief from the heat, regardless of the fact that it rains. And after it rains, you have that thing where all of the, the humidity evaporates up into the air. And it's, I felt like I was there. It was like a tangent. I, I felt like I was in this location. I was transported to where it was. I wanted to go inside all of those closed buildings. I wanted to go inside. There's a scene where the two characters go inside of a nightclub during the day and it's closed, but they're dancing and hanging out inside of a nightclub. And I wanted to look around. I wanted to look around those restaurants. I wanted to go and get beans and rice at the, those little cafeterias and, 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 and get like a warm bottle of beer and sand. It, in terms of like a travel travel log or like a destination movie, I was one hundred percent into it. It's beautiful. I was very tranced out and I was very calmed and relaxed and soothed by all of this because it's just beautiful. I want to know like it, it's a great setting for a movie. Supposedly, the movie that it it should be like I suppose is like a Casablanca or something with you know an exotic locale with danger and intrigue and mystery and romance. The problem is is the movie is hinging on this romance that it completely backfires and, and and it just doesn't work. So like you said, Margaret Qualley, who is the actress that plays the main lead, now she is in a different movie. She's in like a romantic comedy and she's playing it like a, do you know the, the term manic pixie indie dream girl or whatever, that, that term that got thrown around? I mean, that definition is perfect, yeah. Exactly, because that's who she is. Now, my problem with her is I think she's a great actress. I've seen her in other things. I've seen her in a few music videos. She's been around. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. She's Andy McDowell's daughter, the actress Andy McDowell. And you can tell because she has yeah. that big curly crop of hair. Now, my issue with her, and this might say more about me than it does her, is I think she's too pretty. She's very, very pretty. And it's almost distracting. Yeah, she's very stunning looking. Yeah, she is. She's like a stunning human being. And because of that, I I just couldn't buy her in the role she was in because (laughs) she just didn't feel like she belonged in that role. And then she's playing that role with this kind of, I can't tell if it's good or not. That's what's even crazy about it. It's like, she has these nervous tics and she's very goofy and she's very like animated. She's like a manga character. She's like, you know, anime, big eyes and like crazy wacky energy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a, yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It's like, she's like super energetic and just like extremely manic and just over the top with some of the stuff that she's doing. And I was like, I I don't understand. I don't know if you're you're if you're in that situation, and especially with her, she's she is 
supposedly in a very desperate situation to get out. But she's also calling a lot of attention to herself all the time. Yeah, she makes some crazy moves and she does some really stupid things. But that being said, if you were to, if she was to be the focal point of our movie, which she is, if we were to take out the romantic interest and take out the the her, the British guy that she meets, it's a better movie because I would actually be on board for her being that weird and that goofy and kooky and just following her story. That's a way more interesting movie because even no matter how odd she's playing it, and I don't know whose decision it was, obviously Claire Denis as a director is probably has to be in control of this. So she's obviously on board with this portrayal of the character. I, as odd as it seems, that could work in a kind of a weird way. It could totally work because she's interesting enough and she's a great actress. So she's like, she could, that would work. The 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 point where her character really breaks down and it's, her, it's forced because the casting, uh, so it's Joe Alwyn who plays the romantic um, interest. Now, he is a British actor born in 1991. He's a kid. He's just a kid, right? He's been in a few movies. He was in Angley's uh, drama Billy Lynn's Long Time Half Long Billy Lynn's Long Half Time Walk. He was in The Favorite, the uh, Lanthimos Lanthimos movie, or whatever. A few things, not a lot, not a lot. Okay, he's actually a musician and he co-wrote a lot of Taylor Swift's records. I guess I just read that on Wikipedia. What the fuck? I don't even know what that means, <laughs> but he did anyway. He's in a different movie. He's in it. I'm going to be and like I'm not an actor. I've I, I'm not definitely not qualified. I think he's fucking terrible. I think he's fucking terrible. Now, is that because of his talent? I don't know, because he's worked with other people. He's a very handsome young man. So obviously, there's a lot of hair in this movie. He has beautiful hair. So (laughs) just like I can't really buy her in that role, I 100% cannot buy this kid because he looks like he was in One Direction. He has this like pop star haircut. He's wearing white linen the entire time. Yeah, exactly. He's dressed like he's Michael Douglas, but he hasn't earned yeah. it. He's yeah. not he's not like he doesn't I can't buy him in his role as like a British spy or a British man of like counterintelligence in danger because he looks obviously the character should be nervous, but he looks like he's nervous acting in this movie. He's so badly miscast. It is terrible. There is no sexual chemistry between these characters whatsoever. There's a there's a lot of sex scenes in this movie, and a lot of the times it's as if it's the first time they've met each other. There's no chemistry. There's like literally no sexual chemistry between these two leads at all. And I just think he's so far out of his depth, and he's so badly miscast. I think that the characters are too young. I think it would be more interesting if they were slightly older. Like give him like. And what's crazy is Benny Safdie is around about the same age. Benny Safdie's playing this movie exactly how it should be played. His role exactly how he's fascinating. The minute he comes on, just like you said, I want to find out more about Safdie's character. We know he works for the CIA. He's shady. He's fucking weird, but he's like totally in control of his role. And he looks like he should do. He looks like a nerdy analyst guy. He looks like he should have stakes or be a programmer for Facebook. You know, he has that kind of a look. Yeah, his delivery is perfect. Like right when you... Right when you're introduced to him, it's like he's talking about the food he's eating and he's talking about, you know, how um, rude people are, yeah, where he's at and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm very interested in the information that he's, that he's giving out and like his manipulation of the, of the whole situation, yeah, I think is perfect. Um, 
he he just outshines. He outshines everybody in the movie for me. 100%. 100%. So my thing is, is you take Joe Alwyn out of it altogether, lose that connection, have her become involved in this political, because she is, she's fucking around, literally no pun intended, with people in local government, people in positions of power, guards, you know, like uh, uh, the vice president or whatever they call him, like an older guy. She gets involved in this situation. That's great. We he just he just kills the movie. He just kills it. Like the relationship is just so weird. It's so weird. It just doesn't work. It doesn't no. work. Um, I would have been more interested in watching a movie about her trying to get out of the country. One hundred percent. And yeah. I could take her performance being off kilter and giving it an extra layer of interest because of the kookiness of it. That works when she's by herself. Her kooky performance played off him playing it extremely straight doesn't work. Yeah, they just don't yeah. work together. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like they're they're both playing in different movies. Like like he he is like very subtle and matter of fact and low toned and trying to play that I don't know the the Richard Gere American Gigolo type. One hundred percent. You know, just 100%. like one hundred percent. I'm. I'm like this sexy international espionage guy. And yeah, and she's just like this manic travel correspondent, maybe. <laughs> she's like a spoiled rich kid almost, you know? Yeah, Who's- that's it. Yeah, that's it right there, right there. I'm an American. I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Yeah, that's it. This is a game. I'm playing a game here because exactly. I can return back home and I'm, uh, what's that uh, expression? I forgot there's an expression for it, but it's like she's uh, role-playing Affluent? poverty. Yeah, she's role-playing this yeah. lifestyle of poverty oh. and danger because oh, okay, it's yeah. like, a, it's it, it, that's the, the character that I read. We get we don't get any backstory on any of the characters though, to Mm-mm. be fair, Mm-mm. which is fine, which leads it open to her interpretation and everything is fine. I was thinking about it. So the other night, I think it was last night or the night before, I watched this movie about a week ago now. So- I watched, I was, and I kept thinking about, well, what, what is it about sex? I was hoping that this movie was going to be a good, solid, erotic thriller, you know, the likes of which they don't make anymore now, you know, the goat would be, um, basic instinct. Okay. Okay. So I was thinking about, well, what makes basic instinct worked? Okay. Well, work. Well, one, it has a better director in my opinion. Paul Verhoeven is like godlike, god tier director, but what really makes basic instinct work work is you have the two leads the chemistry is staggering. And not only that, you believe you, I can believe Michael Douglas is a sleazy piece of shit cop. There's something about Douglas where he could just eat like, Oh, like you mentioned Richard Gere before. I know Richard Gere fucks, you know, he just, (laughs) he does. fucks. He's a sexy, handsome beast of a man. And he's like a very, very talented actor. Michael Douglas, very, very talented actor. Sharon Stone, extremely talented actor. Sharon Stone embodies that character and then he so the sexual tension is there okay you have people who you believe in those roles I believe neither of these people in that kind of a role and Alwyn just doesn't have that he just doesn't have the chops he doesn't have what it takes so the other night I watched Roadhouse and I'm thinking about not just sexual chemistry but chemistry you know we're supposed to believe that these two people are kind of falling in love with each other and Joe Alwyn's character is married. He mentions that he's married and he's basically cheating on his wife, okay? So we have this this whole kind of like setup. So I started watching Roadhouse the other day and I've seen it a million times. We've all seen Roadhouse. Classic, <laughs> as you okay? should. As you should always watch Roadhouse. 
Patrick Swayze. God, that movie is so fucking good. Ben Gazzara is so good in that movie. <laughs> God damn, Ben Gazzara is amazing in that movie. Anyway, so Sam Elliott. He's amazing Sam in Elliott, that movie. Sam Elliott, yeah, yeah. Sam Elliott and Patrick Swayze have better chemistry than the two leads in this movie as friends. They have wonderful chemistry. This like, And then not only that, so the romantic uh, interest in Roadhouse, I forget the actress's name. Is it Kelly Preston? I think I it think, is Kelly yeah, Preston. I, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Kelly Preston, again, another beautiful human being. Patrick Swayze, another beautiful human being. So we have two beautiful people, just like these two main characters, okay? But the scenes and those two, he meets her, she's a doctor, and he goes in and he's getting his wounds patched up and he takes in his his own medical records because he's <laughs> such a badass. He's got all these lacerations and stab wounds or whatever. And she reads it off. He's like, you've had 39 broken bones. Anyway, the movie's just <laughs> so fucking, ridiculous. It's so good. <laughs> I keep thinking about Stars of Noon and I'm like, well, what is it that... What are, what are we missing that we're getting in a movie like Roadhouse, which is just an action thriller, in terms of the chemistry between Patrick Swayze and Kelly Preston? There's a lot of scenes where those two make eye contact with each other a lot. And you can feel it. It's palpable. You can feel that they're attracted to each other. And I don't know whether that's true in real life, but it feels like they're actually genuinely attracted to each other and they're connecting with each other. And it's because... There's a lot of lingering scenes where one character is looking at another character and we see char the characters make eye contact. And I think that's not as a filmmaker, but I'm thinking, how do we, how do you push that? How do you get that across in a movie? How do you like sell this relationship? And I think you sell it through eye contact. It's not what the characters are saying or doing. It's when they're looking at each other. You can spot those visual clues in visual cues, so to speak. And there's none of that in Stars at Noon. There's none. And I'm joking about Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott, but they look at each other with more affection <laughs> as best friends, but they do. They look at each other with that kind of affection and intensity that they don't, it, we can't even get that right in Stars at Noon. And it just categorically fails to sell its central romance. I think you said something kind of interesting earlier on, and that is uh, they should they should have been played by older people. I think this movie changes if you age those characters up by at least mm, 10 years you know and it's gonna it's gonna i think it's gonna sell different um kind of in the same way with uh, so you mentioned roadhouse in the same way that uh uh oh i just had it i just had it uh oh my god out of sight oh what one that is a perfect example right there. Right? Yeah. It yeah. is it's Jennifer Lopez and it's George Clooney. Look at those characters. Those characters are these characters aged up about 10 years, you know. The chemistry in that movie that, that movie is just sublime, but the yeah. the chemistry in that movie is superb, you know, in those characters you're rooting for them, you believe in them. Now, if Margaret Qualley's character and Joe Alwyn's character are supposed to be having this back and forth. Like, I don't know if I trust you, but God damn it, can't, I want to be with you. I want to have sex with you. Like, I'm so attracted to you, but like, you might sell me out. You might get me in trouble, but I'm still going to do it. I know we're going to have sex. We're going to continue this relationship regardless of how catastrophic it's going to be. Let, let me ask Let me ask you this real quick, real quick. Are, are, we, are we suspect because of... of are we suspect because of our age difference and that we don't trust younger actors in those roles because we we think that generationally they're they're just going to forget about each other in a week sort of thing probably you, yeah you, yeah you see what i'm saying it's like when yeah. when you have actors at that age play those roles you're like 
well, we we know younger people. We know people in that age group right there and how kind of maybe flippant relationships are and stuff like that where whereas you kind of you age them up and you you know that those characters have like gone through like a decade two decades worth of relationships like this and that they know how to make it work sort of thing i don't know i'm just kind of spitballing an idea right there no i i think that's a really good point i think a lot of times on this podcast there are a lot of times when we're talking about auto me and you are talking about movies we're talking, we have to in, inject ourselves into our opinion of something. So a lot of times, well, actually, when we're criticizing characters, it's coming from a point where, you know, in a way we're talking about ourselves a little bit. So perhaps that mean you just don't, we, we're at the point now where we've aged up to the point where we just don't really, we can't really understand younger people. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't care about young love. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me neither. Like, I couldn't give a fuck. Like, they're not... St- so maybe we're just aged out of being able to believe those two. Maybe if we both saw this movie and we're 22, 21, we'd be like, oh, that's so hot. They're like so mysterious and they're so into each other. But for me, it just looks like they'll be on like Tinder the next day and like hook up some other person. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, 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 I can't buy him as being married. I just can't, you know? He's just like, oh, I've got a wife back home. I was like, when? You're like 17 Which, years old. When did you get say, married, dude? Right out of high school. Yeah, right. Uh, I just, like, what if you were to take... So what if we were to alternately cast this movie? What if you were to put Tom Hardy in his role as the British kind of intelligence spy? And then for her role, you would have put somebody like, off the top of my head, I would put like, perhaps if I was to skew younger, maybe like a Margot Robbie or a Emma Stone. But I think both of those would be badly cast in this movie. What if you were to go like Amy Adams? If, Amy yeah. Adams can act a shit out of anything. You put her in there and then you put him in there. I think that I would buy those two more. I mean, they're better actors. I can't deny that. So it's um, tricky. I don't know. It is. It is. Uh, I would even say, oh, here's one. Like, uh, I don't know his name. I think he might be, he might be in Edgerton. I'm, I'm not sure let me double check real quick uh oh, joel edgerton would be great in this movie too yeah his name's jason clark oh and, yes i know who you mean and he's in zero dark 30 he was the interrogator right off the bat um oh i, I love th- him yeah, yeah australian yeah yeah if they just basically put anybody older australian in this movie yeah, just go Australian. <laughs> go like you can't go wrong with Australian, you know. Um, but yeah, Jason Clark, that w- that's killer casting. Michael Shannon, that would be good casting too. He's oh, a little yeah. too old, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then stack him up against somebody with some chops. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think they just, I think they just miscast. I think to wrap up the spoiler-free section because we've been dragging it on that's my main problem i think the movie's fine i think the story's interesting i think it's perfectly fine to not over explain the story and leave it vague which i think is great not give us the characters backstories too much which i'm totally comfortable with do all of that just make the characters cast better and then if we're not going to cast better and we want to make this a, Mar- a margaret quality vehicle because she's clearly very talented I'm more than fine for her playing her goofy, manic, indie, pixie dream girl. Just get the get the love interest out of it because it's just, it's ruining that angle. She she would be interesting enough by herself because a lot of times it's like, it, I described this movie to Chris 
when we were talking about it as you know when you um it's like when you watch a horror movie and then you're like don't do that why would you do that that's stupid why are you doing that (laughs) that's kind of what this movie is in terms of like you know relationships or what have you because there's a lot of times where you're like you're just making a stupid decision what are you doing that's fine if it's just following her let me do that with her i would say in my limited um travel expertise uh if I'm in a foreign country and I am trying to communicate in a certain way and trying to get from point A to point B, I'm going to navigate those waters very delicately. You know, being an outsider, being an American, I, I'm I'm sure and it can get sketchy at times, you know, so... I don't know where, where she's just playing everything like super over the top and trying to get what she wants the entire time and putting herself in just like bad situations. Um, I I would want that character to navigate in those waters that are, that could be treacherous for someone is just like good looking and, and like, and how she kind of plays that character. I'm almost barely dressed most of the time, you know? So that, I, that bothered me I don't too know. a little bit. Yeah, I think maybe it bothered me as like I, if like as somebody who's probably like her dad's age, be like, cover yourself up. That's dangerous. Don't walk around yeah. bad neighborhoods. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> maybe this whole thing is just us showing our age and how we're <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah, perhaps I don't know. Women, okay. you could dress any way that you want. This isn't exactly. uh, condemnation or anything like yes, that. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, when we come back, we'll talk spoilers for Stars at Noon. Is it the stars? I think it's just Stars at Noon. I think it's just Stars at Noon, yeah. If if you're still around at this point and you still want to keep listening, we'll be back for spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've spoiled most of it already. I think so, yeah. buddy this is your oh this is my thing this is your thing okay and we're back with the spoiler section if we haven't spoiled it enough for you already for stars at noon um so go and watch it if you want to i i don't know if we really sold it that much up to this point but you know what you might like it that's that's the thing i mean it, it, we're just two guys talking about sexy thrillers. We might not have sold it for you, but uh, check it out. You might dig it. Um, so, spoilers now. What the hell is this woman doing in this country? <laughs> what is she doing in this country? My understanding is is that she went across with the hopes at least this is me from what the movie I think tells us. She goes across with the hopes of becoming an investigative journalist. She di- she writes some stories on hangings and murders, like corruption, okay? That ruffle a lot of feathers locally. So what happens is she gets involved with the local vice presidente and these people, the subtenant, the, the you know, like the, the guy she's, we we first see her with the he's like a police chief who she's uh having sex with and i guess they basically are like we're taking your passport off you because he takes her passport the cop takes her passport and i think it's a case of you're not allowed to write any more of these kind of stories okay that we're, we're shutting you down because she's not really affiliated as we find out when she speaks to john c Riley, she's not affiliated with an actual news agency yeah 
She's just she like freelance, freelance, just writing. Freelancing, yeah. yeah. yeah so she yeah. gets shut down with that. Now she gets herself in a bit of a pickle. She has a passport removed and she has no way of earning money. Okay. I was going to so, say, so she went to go do some investigative journal- uh, journalism, but she didn't go with any money at all. I'm guessing not. Or like, well, there's a line too where the vice president, he, she says that he convinced her to exchange her US dollars into the local currency. So she ends up with a ton of this local currency because when you say, and she's tipping like cab drivers, or she's tipping people at bars, she's literally giving them handfuls of this local cash, which is essentially worthless. But I think she was tricked. She was kind of like tricked out of her money. She, she's left with all this cash that's essentially useless, more or less. She has ran out of dollars. She's unable to work. She's burnt her bridges with John C. Riley and those people. Now she's trying to sell Riley when she's talking to him on tourism, a tourism article. You know, I, I'll talk about destinations and places to stay. He's kind of like, hey, nobody wants to do anything like that right now. It's COVID. No one's really interested in going traveling to a third world country. Like, this is te- like, you've got nothing for me. I don't need this. She's basically trying to get him to front her some money so she can, she's talking about going to Costa Rica. So she's already talking about getting out. She needs to get out. So in the time being, with her income being cut off. <laughs> I was going to say, so in the time being, she becomes a prostitute. Exactly. <laughs> so she's sleeping with the vice president, who she admits to because she says that he can't get erect when she has sex with him. She is sleeping with the police chief who has her passport. Um, and that's like some weird controlling relationship that I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. And I'm guessing to she's sleeping people for dollars. She's trying to get dollars. So she charges people for sex for dollars to accrue money. But it doesn't like she's like, like she saved up a lot of money because when we see her stash the $50 that she gets from Joe Alwyn's character for sex, she puts it in a little envelope and there's no other money in there. So what she's she's probably making money, but spending it again on alcohol because we see she's a raging alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that's like the other thing. You're alcoholic. trying to get out of this country, but you're just buying shampoo, stealing toilet paper, and buying rum. And drinking like What are you fish. doing? Yeah, what right. are you doing? <laughs> so she's, but we don't know about her family situation. Like, so I'm guessing she doesn't have a mother or a father she could call up. Or if she does, my guess is that she does, but she's, she is the black sheep of the family. I'm kind of picturing this together. Yeah, yeah. That she comes from some kind of wealth. She's a black sheep of a family and she's like being role-playing, poverty role-play, danger role-play. And I think she's in a situation where she can't ask for help because she's being ostracized from her family, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're not given that information, but I mean, sure. It's just crazy. I mean... And none of the men want to help her. Like, none of the men want to help her get her out because they're using her for sex, basically. And they're keeping her like a pet at this point. She's kind of like this American pet that they're keeping. So when she meets Joe Alwyn, I think she sees money signs. And I think she sees him as an opportunity to get out. I I think, yeah, I think she does see that. But then we're also supposed to be led to believe that she's kind of in love with him too. Or just like a a fast love or something like that. Because she's concerned about you know, where he's at and, and like what's going on with him and this whole thing, which is, I I don't know. I, I just don't buy. And we've kind of already covered that ground a little bit that we don't buy these two characters. Well, do you think that though, maybe it's the reading of the movie is that 
she her concern for him is her concern for her cash cow. So like, you know, when uh, she sees him having breakfast at the hotel one morning with the actor, I think his name is Danny Ramirez or whatever. I mentioned him before, but I like him. I've seen him in a few different things. Yeah, Danny Ramirez. What's he been in? He's in the MCU, I guess. He's in oh, Top yeah. Top Gun Maverick. I guess he's in Top Gun Maverick too. Anyway, I like him. I've seen him around. I like his face. He seems like a good actor. So when she sees him, she sees Alwyn hanging out with Ramirez. She says to him, hey, that, that guy is HOA or whatever that means, which means like Costa Rican Costa secret Rican. police or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shady yeah. as fuck. You could tell that the local the locals don't like those guys, but they're meddling. They're getting involved. They don't really have power, but they're taking power. They're coming across and like, you know, investigating. So I think when she spots that, she realizes that he's in more trouble than he thinks he is. He seems very naive. For somebody who's, who is doing this kind of like political meddling in getting involved whether he claims it's for altruism i think he says it's he's not he's very trying good to set at up it. the government yeah <laughs> he wants the election to go in because he's trying to set up the government with a plan for sustainable uh a sustainable government with access to oil and like to be able to self-manage themselves financially which is against the interests of the cia and all the big oil corporations who are trying to keep the place destabilized in order to get cheap resources so they see him as a threat. That's what I understand. He seems pretty naive to the fact that he's going across there and people won't be coming from though. But he does have a gun. So if he has a gun, he mustn't be that naive, but he's playing it really naive. So is he playing dumb or is he just dumb? I think <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh he might be dumb, I think. I mean I mean he might be dumb, but he's not uh he kind of knows the country he's in because he because he's armed. He, I mean, he's smart enough to to know that he probably needs to carry some sort of protection, protection because he doesn't have security for himself. You know, I'm guessing. And then, so that his character is just confusing from from on all angles. On all all of his motivation is just weird and and like inconsistent i would say so i think perhaps if you were to rewatch it which i'm never going to do but if i was no. <laughs> to rewatch it i think it would probably play it especially so at the end of the movie she basically sells him out which is also confusing we'll talk about that in a second because i don't think that's as clear cut either yeah yeah if she's yeah if she's trying to get out she's having money problems and it's like she's trying to do everything she can to just like build up this little cash cow to like get out and move on. And she might be using him for money or some sort of like Avenue out of the country. As soon as Benny Safdie says, I could just produce $20,000 for you right now. Why wouldn't she say, do that? You well, know? I think she does in a way. Well, I she think does, in, but in her mind, but, I think that's when she sells him out. I think that's when she knows that like, this isn't going to work. She can just get the money off Safdie. She doesn't want to admit it right away because I think she has some feelings for him. But I think she's aware of the fact that this is going nowhere with this guy. He's in trouble. He's not going to get out here. He doesn't know what he's doing. Safdie's just giving me a way out. So can you explain the end to me then, Eric? No, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to unpack it then. Let's try to unpack it. I don't know. I, can't, I don't I can't either. get it. So what? So what happens then? What, what, so we, we know they go on the run. They hide. They steal a car it, and then basically they go stop on the run. But the it just looks like they're sightseeing the whole time. It's just like oh, like let's just let's go to bars. Let's hang out. Let's you know let's do nothing that is going to help us get out of here. You know they go on. 
she's trying to get a hold of a, a coyote to take her across, you know, that whole scene, you know, but she's being difficult the entire time. Uh, they go on a, uh, like a raft down, down the river to get to this location. And then the, and then these rebels or whoever like come out and just start shooting the boat after they get off, like three feet after they get off the boat, these, these guys go and mow down these people who are on this boat and they don't turn around and shoot these foreigners right, right on the spot. Foreigners who might have money. Exactly. The guys wearing a white suit. They just let them run. They're like five feet away. Oh, you guys go ahead and run down the road. We're going to shoot these poor guys on this boat real quick. And then it's like, and then when they get them, they're like, oh, they don't have anything on them. It's like, what are you, who are you? <laughs> what kind of villains are you? <laughs> I laughed at that scene too. He gets grazed by a bullet on his yeah. own. But I laughed at that scene too, because I thought it was hilarious, especially that, oh, they don't have anything where they just let the, and like, why wouldn't he have changed clothing? They Like clothes can't be that expensive in one of those markets, like use secondhand clothes. Why is he still wearing that white suit? Is it so they could use the money on alcohol instead? I don't know. I d- it's so, it's so wouldn't weird. He like changed you, his appearance? you could go, yeah, you could go to a local uh, market or something like that and just get like a, a t-shirt, a t-shirt, like a dark t-shirt, something like that. Or like, Secondhand pair of like cargo pants or something, something. But you're you're like white linen suit guy the whole the whole way. You stick out like a sore thumb. It's not Jewel of the Nile or Romance no, of the Stone. No, like, oh no. Put a put a pair of cargo pants on and a t shirt and some flip yeah. flops or something. Yeah, you know, some hiking boots. Yeah, since you're gonna be out. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. So after that. So the, yeah, they use the coyote, get across the river because they go to a COVID testing station. That's another thing that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would they go to the border knowing that they're going to get checked, knowing that there's a process, go through with the COVID test yeah, yeah and yeah. then she passes the COVID test. Then he fakes a flat tire to go back. Now is, were they just checking it out? And he's like, we're never going to get, we're never going to get through this border. So they tried it and they're like, okay, I'm going to fake that we have a flat tire so we can go back and then we're going to have to try and see if these guys can hustle us across the river and we're going to have to go a different way because the bridge is a no-go zone, I'm guessing. But wouldn't they have, anyway, that's... It makes no sense. It makes no <laughs> sense. So they get smuggled across the river. And another thing, so he's wearing this white suit and they're about to put him on this raft to get him across the river. You would assume they'd cross the river at nighttime, correct? The river is not that big. The river, you could swim it in about 15 minutes, right? 20 <laughs> minutes. But they're going to go across at nighttime. Okay, wonderful. So he's wearing a white suit. So the kid comes up to him and gives him all this black top, a black blanket. And he goes, you need to cover yourself because you can't be wearing white at night when we try and cross the river. They cross the river during the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. Because when they get to the other side of the river, it's bright daylight. It and is. It's like, it's it like a 30 minute trip tops. On yeah. That thing. Yeah. So that's insane. So then he's still wearing his white suit. They, they shoot the guys. Then because he's wounded, they find like an abandoned church. It looks like an abandoned church where they, they sleep for the night. There is a drifter on the other side of the room, which they, they're they not aware of at first. She comes in and she tries to like clean up his wound and wrap him up. I think at this point, she knows how desperate the situation is that they're basically fucked. The homeless guy or the drifter who's sitting across the other side, they just stay there. He sleeps on one side, they sleep on the other side. The first thing in the morning, he gets up and leaves. I think this is what happens. He gets up and leaves and he goes and tells the gods. And he's like, we have some tourists, some gringos, Americans or whatever in this church. One of them is wounded. You must be You can't miss him. him. He's in a white suit. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> they must they must be looking for him. So the the Federales or whoever they are come and capture him, capture him and her. Okay, they release her because they're only really interested in him. So in that case, why does Benny Safdie still give her an envelope of twenty five thousand dollars because they already have him? Yeah, exactly. Why not just pay off the jailers or or something like that? And then she's her whole thing is it's it's he. She's not really part of the conversation anymore. She doesn't control anything. She, yeah, she is of no use to Benny Safdie at that point. Well, so, he he has her sign. What's the document he has her sign? Is that just to um, basically a, a say statement? that? Yeah, it's like yeah, she signs that the document and then gets the money and the passport, and he's like, "That's all I needed." You know, so well, perhaps it's a statement, and perhaps she's giving evidence against them. Perhaps because so in that case, theoretically, what would happen is she doesn't sell them out originally. It's the guy, it's the drifter who gives up the their destination. The police capture him, take him into custody, take him into custody. Benny Safdie is involved, CIA, and he's like, "I don't need her, but we've got him. Great." So then he goes to her and he goes, "Do you want to make a statement on what he said to you? Give us the information that he gave you." I'll give you $25,000. It's nothing. We're the American government. I can just give you $25,000. I give you a passport. Uh, I'll get your passport back for you. Um, and then you can just leave the country. So I think she technically didn't really sell him out. Once she realized he was the, ga- the game was up, then she just sold the information for money. But he was fucked either way. So I think whether or not she sold him out or she didn't really, and that's the problem is if we're supposed to have this cat and mouse game, it would have been more interesting or more dynamic if she had have sold him out. If she was like, I can't get out of this situation. The situation's fucked. I'm going to give this guy the information to tell Maria so they can come and get him right now. That would have been more of a, a revelation or more of a turn because it's so muddled. You have to figure out what's going on that it loses its impact. So then you're like, did she sell him out? Did she not sell him out? Like what's going on? Which makes her crocodile tears seem like... Yeah, it, it kind of gives her a free pass in a way. Um, that she doesn't that really, yeah, yeah, that she doesn't really deserve, I think. And are we to presume that because this is Central America and what have you, it's not like they're putting Joe Alwyn on trial. They're probably just going to kill him, aren't they? Yeah, he's getting transferred from one facility to the next. He's he's. We're assuming he's dead unless he gets a hold of his embassy, maybe, something like that. But then again, though, if they just wanted him dead, it's the like it's the lawless rainforest. They could have just executed him. Yeah, they'll probably just kill him on the road or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or try and guess. get like, what any information they can out of him, and then when he's no good, they'll probably just kill him. So basically, he's fucked. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Bit of a bummer ending for him. <laughs> yeah, and then we get her uh, her crocodile tears at the end, and that's how it kind of ends. Um, I I just don't I don't understand these characters at all. When, as I was watching it, it just it seemed like all the moves that they were making were just the wrong moves. They were in the wrong movie. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen I want to say I've seen similar movies like that that are done story wise a lot better. Yeah, I think that's key. What you said there, story wise, performances wise, the movie itself is fine. The movie oh, yeah. like. Everything else that's going on, the sound design, the direction, the cinematically, like cinematically, yeah. movie's great, mm-hmm. movie's mm-hmm. great. Um, but for some reason, it just can't get like the, it can't get the gel together for the rest of the movie. 
So I wouldn't call it a complete failure at all. I would say it's worth a watch, but it's long. I think it's worth a watch if you want to try something a little bit different. It's very different to a lot of stuff that's coming out right now. I'll give it that. I think it's made with really good intentions. I think that it's it's saying something. It's just flawed in its execution. So I think it's a it's an interesting effort. So where would you grade it then? If you had to give it a scale of one to ten, what would you give it on it on one to ten rating? I'd give it a five. Yeah, I think I'd be right in the middle too. Yeah, I'd be five four point five, somewhere in there. You know, it's not it's definitely not a not really above a five. I mean it gets most of those points just for kind of the the look of it, the cinematic aspects of it it's it's a it's a gorgeous movie to look at i mean other but the story is just like so convoluted in a way that it's it doesn't make sense these characters just don't make sense to me yeah yeah i think it's fundamentally flawed it's interesting movie and in, uh, it's a good it's a college effort a good good try you know <laughs> they tried they good, just... good try for like a veteran Filmmaker. Yeah, right. <laughs> Celebrated author. Yeah. She's a professor too, Claire Denny. She's like very, maybe, very smart. Maybe it was it was because of the situation of COVID at the time and, and the restraints and everything like that. There was a lot of things that had to be held back, a lot of information, a lot of scenes that that, that I maybe if the, if it was more heavily populated and, and you kind of get because the, the only thing that you really get an idea of that there's something going on in this in this region is there is stickers and posters and like on everything and if you have just a, a like a, a little bit of kind of understanding of spanish or or the language you can read them and and and, and kind of tell that there's a rebellion going on but other than that nothing yeah nothing it's I think I think it's an overreach. I think she's trying to make a style of movie that she's not really. I think. Well, I, again, I can't. I can't speak because I've seen all the movies, but, but I'm guessing she's making a thriller, and it's somebody who isn't used to dealing with the constraints of like the logic constraints of a thriller in order to make it effective. So perhaps she is making it in keeping it airy and light and interesting and quirky. But it, it, in order for it to be effective, it needs to be more airtight. It needs to be more, like, in order for a thriller to thrill us, it needs to be, like, logically, we need to be able to keep up with it and, and we need to be to believe what's happening, to be invested in the twists and turns. And I think the, like, the central logic of the movie that should be there is missing. Yeah, that's fair. Where do you put it? Yeah, I would say five, five out of ten. Yeah. yeah. I don't regret watching it. There was no. times where I was I was thoroughly enjoying it. And, like, if you want to watch two beautiful people have sex, then fair enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, you, you, yeah. you could go a lot yeah. worse. If you want to just watch beautiful people on screen, fair enough. If you're wanting any anything more from that, though, then you, you, you bang out a look. Top to bottom, bummer. Well, we got we got a we need a better pick, a better system. I don't. Is it because we're doing streaming movies right now? Well, no, because All Quiet in the Western Front was really good. It's tricky though. It's tricky to find something awesome. Well, um, should we call it? I think so. And remember, there can only be one. That should be our ta- that should be the tagline that we use for the end of every episode. <laughs> there can only be one podcast to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Drum roll.